Welcome to SNAP, survivors of narcissistic and abusive personalities. This educational recovery podcast is presented by Claremont Mental Health and Mandy Friedman, licensed professional clinical counsellor. This presentation contains vital information for survivors of abuse. Topics include the spectrum of abusive personalities, targets of abuse, abusive relationships, and survivors in recovery. We hope this information helps you gain solid footing and clarity as you navigate your road to recovery. Hi, I'm Mandy Friedman, licensed professional clinical counselor and clinically certified domestic violence counselor. I'm the creator of SNAP, Survivors of Narcissistic and Abusive Personalities, and I'm the owner of Claremont Mental Health. Today we're gonna talk about early dating red flags. This is for people in recovery from narcissistic abuse that are starting to date again, or really for anyone who's dating because this is these are really good tips um, and it'll help you avoid abusive, manipulative, coercively controlling assholes and abusers by using a particular filtration system, right? We're gonna look for certain key features in early dating and if we're seeing several of these items happening, it's a good chance that this is not gonna be a healthy relationship for us. And there are six of these signs that I'm gonna share with you today. Number one is micro boundary crossing or gentle boundary crossing. And early on in a relationship, that can seem like something that's romantic. They show up without an invitation, with flowers, surprise, I'm here, look, I got this for you. And you're like, oh, that's so nice that they did that, but also, hmm. Uh, or they just, they start to do things without you having made the plan for it and agreed upon it. They're, they're surprising you with things regularly. And at first, again, it seems romantic that they're trying to sweep you off your feet and be chivalrous and things of that nature. But really, the key, <laughs> the key tester will be when they do it the first time and then you say, thank you so much, that was really sweet and I appreciate it. However, moving forward, I would really appreciate it if we communicate before we get together. Um, I don't really like surprises like that. So um, next time, can we make a plan and then and then we'll get together instead of the big surprise? That would make me feel a lot more comfortable. And if they have a problem with that and they get defensive, uh, wow, then we, <laughs> we're right. <laughs> we're absolutely right. But what we want to hear is a response there is, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I was just trying to be romantic. You're absolutely right. From now on, I'll make sure that I make sure it's okay for me to stop by, right? Okay. Another form of gentle boundary crossing would be that, let's say they're saying to you, where do you want to go on our first date? Or where do you want to go on our second date? Well, you know, I really don't like crowds. I don't like loud noises or loud music and I'm not much of a drinker and but you know as long as those things are you know part of the equation I'll be fine and you show up for the date and they take you to a bar that is raucous and loud with live music and it's crowded right and it is the opposite of your idea of a good time and you're like um and they're saying things like look we're gonna have a blast you gotta loosen up uh, you know what, I, I just want us to have a wild and great time and it's okay, you don't need to be nervous about being here because I'm here. As if the reason that you don't like to go to those places is because you feel afraid and that by them being there with you that, that you don't have to be afraid. Um, 
another one would be that you say that you don't want to drink. Um, let me buy you a drink. No, I'm good. Oh, come on, have another drink, have another drink, and, and trying to get you to drink more. Um, that would be boundary crossing as well. Once you say, no, I've had enough, thank you, that should be it. Um, they shouldn't be pushing you to do more of that. Another version of gentle boundary crossing would be um, when they are really pushing for sex and sexual content from you, that they're asking for pics all the time, and that when they interact, there's always some sexual overtone. Um, that's boundary crossing as well. What we would like to see in a healthy dating scenario is that, that the person you're dating, you know, you feel sexually attracted to, they, you know, indicate to you that they feel that you're sexually attractive as well, but then the things that go on happen naturally without a lot of pushing and forcing and asking. Um, it feels good to be desired, and, and I get that, and early on in a relationship when somebody really has the hots for you, that feels good, it, it boosts your ego. But really, for someone to be pushing that much for it means that they're not respecting you, and they're not as concerned about consent, and they also don't understand female sexuality. <laughs> yeah, these guys that send dick pics, it's like, dude, take a class or something. Like, nobody likes this, nobody likes it, right? Um, right, so when they're pushing like a hypersexual agenda very early, that's a red flag. So that was number one, gentle boundary crossing, micro boundary crossing. Number two is grandiosity. Grandiosity has to do with them really, you know, bragging about their accomplishments, how important they are, the, you know, how, they, how important they are at their job, um, how many people they have under them that, you know, they boss around. Um, also, they're bragging about material things, things that they own or have owned, people that they know, they're name dropping, um, or their travels and where they've been, and you know, so they're really laying it on thick as to how important they are and how fancy they are. Um, that's grandiosity. Grandiosity can go in the other direction too, where they're grandiose about their suffering and about their hardships. Okay, so number one, micro boundary crossing. Number two is grandiosity. Number three, they ask you about your sexual history. Not good. They will do this too under the guise of, well, I was cheated on before. I had, you know, I was dated someone that I thought had only been with two people. And then I found out that she was a stripper and was sleeping with everyone. And so now, you know, I have this thing about needing to know um, you know, your sexual history. Or, I'm a Christian and I believe that women should be saving themselves for marriage and so therefore I'm going to need to know your sexual history if we're going to be in a committed relationship. Whatever excuse they use that they're asking you about your sexual history, your sexual history is no one's business. You do not owe that information to anyone. No matter what they say, it is not... Uh, it's not appropriate for someone to be asking you those questions. Now, if this has to do with STI, you're about to have sex with them, and they would like for you to have um, a, a, a sexually transmitted infection, blood panel testing done before having sex with them, that's appropriate. I think that's okay. But they're not saying, how many people have you been with? 
Have you ever done this sex act? Have you ever done that? Have you ever been with more than one person at the same time? You know, they're trying to picture you in your past sexual history. And that's gross and weird and disrespectful. If we're talking about moving forward, what you what you consent to, what you're okay with in the relationship with them, that's okay to talk about future sex or the, or the type of sex that you might like to have or not have in that relationship. That's consent, right? Discussing what you're comfortable with. Or if you wanted to be tested to make sure that nobody has any infections, that's also appropriate. But talking to you about your past history and sexual relationship, if there's something that you don't want to tell, you don't have to tell. And that's not the same thing as lying. It's you protecting your privacy. Okay, so that was number three which is they ask you about your sexual history. Number four, victim narratives. They're gonna to have tons of victim narratives and excuses, and usually will have to do with, if they're divorced, that their ex was crazy, and that their ex has alienated the children against them, they lost their job because of their ex, um, they've lost all kinds of money because of their ex, uh, that kind of victim narrative. Or they go ahead and tell you about their rough childhood where they had an alcoholic father, their mother beat them, and they were sexually abused and things like that. When they're coming out of the gate with victim narratives, that's a major red flag. Why does this person want me to know these things this early? Well, could it be that they're trying to evoke sympathy from you? Um, and, and a lot of abusive people want empathic targets. So if they're telling you these stories and you're like, oh, oh, that's terrible. I'm so sorry. That has to be bad for you. And you turn it into a therapy session, <laughs> right? And then furthermore, here's what you don't want to do, but it's the natural thing that happens is that then you share about your situations and now they have important information that they're going to weaponize later on. Because really a lot of this, what they're doing is they're trying to size you up. So they're going to say things that happen to them, uh, their victim narrative. You're going to you're going to show sympathy and empathy. You're going to show you're going to normalize by sharing something about yourself because that's what we would do in a normal situation, right? That's how we communicate and navigate relationships authentically. However, when we're when it's early in dating, we have to be more protective and more strategic of ourselves and hold our cards closer to the chest. Okay. Number five is their life is a mess. Okay. This is not a judgment. I'm not saying that someone who's in transition after a divorce or someone who's in recovery from substance use disorders, um, I'm not saying that when someone's life is a mess that that means they're a bad person or that their life is always going to be a mess, right? We've been there. My life's been a mess. <laughs> Um, you know, and I had to pick up the pieces and put it back together. So it's not a judgment. It doesn't mean anything bad about the person. The problem is, is that that person is not in a state that makes them an adequate partner for you. If their life is a mess, that means that they're not quite where they need to be in their own personal development in order to be a healthy partner for you. So we have empathy for that. We hope for the hope. You know, we hope for the best and, and wish them the best. Um, but we can't date for potential anymore, you guys. The people need to be who you need them to be right now. Not, well, they're in the middle of a transition and there's a lot of potential here. And, you know, um, and so it's going to be something good because it seems like it will. We can't gamble with our time and our emotion, our resources that way anymore. We need to see proof 
right now, factually based observations about patterns of behavior that indicate that the person is a healthy person, lives a healthy life right now, not in the future. Again, not a judgment. We've all been there. Um, we're all a work in progress. But if you're in recovery and you're rebuilding, you do not need a pet project. You do not need someone else in your life in an intimate way that is going through a bunch of stuff. You need somebody who has already arrived at a healthy and happy place in their life with balance and with boundaries. So starting over, one, gentle boundary crossing. Two, grandiosity. Three, asks about your sexual history. Four, victim narratives. Five, their life is a mess. And finally, six, laughing at others' pain. So basically what I'm saying here is that you find that there is a lack of empathy. And often at first, we will interpret that as to mean that the person's just trying to keep things light. They're trying to be funny. Um, they're keep, they want to keep the topics from getting too serious. But you notice that every time we get to a topic that has to do with humanitarian issues, <laughs> Or tough stuff, people suffering, um, you know, people dying from cancer, or um, you know, people who struggle, marginalized populations. That when those topics come up, they don't want to talk about it, and they'll say something that's sort of flippant, and then they'll just keep moving to a different topic, or they'll make a joke about something that isn't funny. So from my own experience, I remember back at the very beginning of a relationship that was abusive where uh, we were listening to a radio program about migrant workers and the working conditions. And, you know, it was early dating. We were having a good time. Um, there was this part of the interview where the, they were interviewing this migrant worker. And while they were up on a ladder, the ladder fell. And the person I was with laughed. And I didn't think it was funny. Um, so, <laughs> but at the same time, I thought, well, you know, he just doesn't want to be thinking about serious things right now. And maybe he was just nervous and, you know, wanted to keep it light. So I just sort of, you know, blew it off and didn't think much of it. But then there were other low empathy indicators after that. So if you're hearing things like, well, bad things happen to bad people, that's not good. If you're hearing like bootstrap rhetoric that, you know, if you don't want bad things to happen, then don't break the law. You know, if you don't want to get shot by a cop, then don't try to pass off a counterfeit 20. Um, that means the person has low empathy. Um, if we're talking about, I don't want to pay tax dollars to the school district because I don't have kids. Low empathy, right? Um, so when the person is laughing at other people's pain, when you hear them commenting about things that shows an attitude of low empathy, that is something we really want to pay attention to. Okay, so when you're dating someone and you find that they're doing that gentle boundary crossing at first, they're being hypersexual with you and pressuring you for sex, asking you about your sexual history, they're offering up all these victim narratives, they're showing that they have low empathy, don't ignore the red flags, you guys. Listen to your instincts 
and make this a deal breaker list that when these things are happening that it's time to end it early so that you don't wind up risking and gambling with your resources just to you know fingers crossed that this person turns out to be okay because nine times out of ten if they're doing these things in the beginning it means you're heading in a bad direction okay I hope this video was helpful don't forget that therapists need affirmation too so please like and subscribe thank you bye bye if you like this podcast, subscribe and leave us a review. Find Mandy Friedman, LPCC, CCDVC on YouTube and Facebook. Join the SNAP Survivors of Narcissistic and Abusive Personalities Facebook group and follow us on Instagram at The Official Snap. Thanks for listening.